Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Okay, Stack Waddy game, and I'm going first. Go on. The Vertigo label. You know, we were talking about recently landfill indie. You know, yep. well, you know, indie wasn't the only genre that had a kind of landfill period to it, you know. And I often think that the that the so the you know, the, the essential home of landfill prog music was the Vertigo label. Okay. Oh it, right, good. In the early seventies, that fabulous label that you used to study, you used to stare at as it went round. And obviously, the Vertigo it's... label had a number of successful groups, Black Sabbath and so forth. But it had loads of groups that you may not have heard about ever again. Okay. So five names because I always do five. Good, that's good. Six, cool. I do five. Yeah. Okay, five names who were on the Vertigo label in the early 70s. One of them is made up. Here we go. go. Freedom. Frumpy. (laughs) Gravy Train. Love Muscle. (laughs) And and War Horse. There you go. Freedom, (laughs) Frumpy, Gravy Train, Love Muscle, and War Horse. I think, well... Gravy Train and Warhorse. I've got a feeling. I've got a vague feeling. I've actually heard of Frumpy. Is brilliant. Frumpy was a was a was a, a word of the time. Freedom was a thing, very much a thing of the time. I'm going for because I think it's a contemporary expression. Actually, I'm going for Love Muscle because I think well, that's a, I think it's a la- I think it's a later expression. It's I'm probably a, wrong. It's not a later expression, but you are right in thinking it's the one. It's the one I put in. That's there. really good because actually. Alice Cooper had an album quite early on called Muscle of Love in the 70s. Oh, right, okay. So very good, as he would. Yeah. But anyway, freedom. That's very freedom. good. Landfill prog. Okay, look, mine is unbelievably niche, actually. I have to say, it's very, very, very niche. It's a bit of an experiment. 
it, it involves Graham Fellows. Do you remember Graham Fellows, the comedian who invented Chilton John? Chilton John, yeah, yeah, yeah. He also invented a character called John Shuttleworth, which I'm pretty sure yeah. you're, you're, you're familiar with. He was a yeah, failed yeah. kind of cabaret yeah. singer from no, Yorkshire. very good. In a car coat with a kind of you know, <laughs> Bon Tempe keyboard. And he, he, his songs are very kind of, um, very cream cracker. They're very 60s, 60s uh, Alan Bennett. All you right. know, and I think you know some of them. Okay, six of his song titles, which are all really... He's always blending six with you. All right, we think, well, I could, I could easily cut one out. <laughs> no, Six no, song no. titles. Six song titles, okay. And, uh, oh, and I've got these... to work out which one of these is. Yeah, made one up. of these is made up by me, all right? Okay, here's the first. Up and down like a bride's nighty. Right? The second <laughs> is two cherry bees in a Ford Cortina. Yeah. The third one is, one cup of tea is never enough, but two is one too many. Uh. Third is, I can't go back to savoury now. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> then there's one foot in the gravy. And, and there smells like white spirit. So... <laughs> Out of those, can you, okay. That's the tricky one. Out of I those, can you pick the ringer? The first one is the ringer. Oh no! Up and down like a bride's night. Oh really? No, that know. was that was his big calling card. Yeah, which is very first like, time I heard that expression because it's a very seventies expression. No, well, it was uh, we. You and I used to work with an ad manager, Rod Sop. He used yeah. to use that expression all the time. It was up and down like a bride's night. Like a bride's night. <laughs> so he was the one who had millions of expressions for raw steak. You go to a restaurant. And say, can I have a raw steak, please? And then when it arrived, you go, do I hear lowing? <laughs> a good vet could have that back on his feet in 10 minutes. Yeah. Rod, where well, used to say, you know, how are you feeling, Rod? He says, never entirely without pain. That's right. These are all jokes come for the early 80s. We still remember these. Uh, anyway, so I got that wrong. Okay. So Fred, which, I'm sorry you did, but there we are. Which is the one you made it's up? A lot of, the one I made up was two cherry bees in a Ford Cortina. Uh, the rest right. are real. And what, it smells like white spirit was actually quite a big deal, actually. And one for the gravy, too, it became quite well known. That's very good. What a great man. That's very good. Very good. So you, you win this week. Um, I have correspondence. I sound like Cyril Fletcher in That's Life, you know. Do you remember that? I do. Sit in a button-back chair and go, I'm grateful to Mrs. Snodgrass from, you know, Market Raisin for drawing my attention to the following. To this funny-shaped potato. That's right. Didn't he wear a a bow tie? I think he did. Yeah, yeah, he certainly did. Uh, Kevin Walsh has been in touch. and I I just thought I was rather taken by this because he's he's a great fan of... uh, of the series of Word in Your Attic um, videos that we've been doing. He's got a very got a very organised approach to viewing them. There's a particular time of day, in the evening, I think between, before dinner or whatever, he gets them up on the telly. And him, yeah. is, him and the GLW, the good lady wife, um, sit down and, uh, and watch them. And... Uh, he finds them engrossing. She finds them. She finds the kind of level of obsession kind of vaguely hilarious. You know, I'm sure it is. Yeah. Fair enough. And, and very uh, familiar. Attention but, to detail. But, but she had an idea <coughs> as a as a consequence of looking at at, at these videos, and um, and she actually came to him. And she'd found an article about the best shelving for LP records. Because he's got his LPs in the house, in boxes. They've been in boxes for years and years, and they never got them out. So she was the moving force behind making sure that they got some proper shelves. And, uh, and so they, they've done that, they've constructed them, and he's got all his records out, and he's put them all, all on the shelves. And he says, uh, 
last night at dinner, my wife and admitted that your Word in Your Attic videos inspired her to research the shelving and to want to put the records out. She specifically pointed to you, that's me, as the inspiration for the shelves. She thinks the look of the attic where you film those videos looks cool. So, as it does, I'm, I'm just thrilled. That's fantastic. First time in my life that I've been, you know, uh, I've had influence over home decor, you know. Completely. Yeah, yeah. So I think you should extend this, Dave. I think you, I think you could get a, a, a brand of wallpaper done. Do you think it'd be fantastic? Oh, so you get wallpaper a... and you do it in such a high definition photograph that you can read the sleeves, you can read the spines of the sleeves, oh, and see God what all the records are. Can you imagine how <clears throat> you say if this was somebody's record, like yours, somebody's record, you could actually see a real record collection. You could go down and study every single record. Wouldn't that be thrilling? Wouldn't it look great? And everybody's a, got some little den that's somewhere That's a bloody that brilliant idea, that is. Do you remember, you're not old enough, uh, the, the Dobells, the old jazz and blues record shop on Charing Cross Road? I never went to it. I never did. Okay, yeah. I went a few times. And, um, and they used to have a very distinctive uh, plastic carrier bag. If you bought a record from Dobell's, which is generally a kind of BB King Live at the Regal or yeah. Jane Van Ronk or you know some Louis Armstrong record or whatever, they would they would put it in a, in a bag which is black and white, but really nice bag, and that was a, a load of spines of records. And you sit on on the tube going home, and you just pour over those. You probably, because just think the amount of of entertainment and information oh. per square foot in, contained in looking at your records, you know, it is absolutely riveting. Don't you think? Yeah, well, as a, also yeah, they've got that they've got that worn quality to them. They've got those little yeah. idiosyncrasies. It's I great. don't think you'd you wouldn't feel so warm if you could see closer up. I think, but anyway, you know. I think your idea of uh, of, of uh, LP wallpaper is a really good idea for dens, for, for kind of you know for man caves, especially for dens. That's for a good dens. selling line, especially yeah. for dens. It Excellent. works. It works. The Word Podcast, walking the digital dog since two thousand and seven. And now back to the subject that simply won't die. We raised last week the subject of do bands play their particularly their big hits too fast on stage, and we got lots of feedback. Most of it uninformed, but we got some feedback from the odd person who really knew what they were talking about. And here I'm talking about Owen Park, a friend of the pod and professional musician. Now, Owen, you were able to do a bit of a do a bit of laboratory work here, weren't you, to see if, if this is a fallacy or a fact? Well, I just thought if I could get a test tube and a Bunsen burner, I'd like to hear the live version at the original uh, speed when they recorded it. So we're talking think, about the Rolling Stones here. Yes, the Rolling Stones, Brown Sugar. Because you said, sugar. you said, oh, it was actually satisfaction. You said they'd never played it that well again after the uh, after they'd recorded it. And I think with Brown Sugar as well. So I basically looked at what the tempos are. You just press a button on the computer, and uh, it was about ten beats per minute more for live. So that's really Faster. quite a lot. Faster. So. I, yes, faster. So I then put in the live version, slowed it down to the original, and it for me, it just worked a lot more. It had a swagger. The original, if you want the numbers, uh, starts at 124 BPM, but the... The, the live, live version... The live starts 136. at 136. So yeah, it's, more, it's more than 10 beats per minute faster. So this was something, when we raised this last week, this was something you, as an experienced musician... 
you recognized this, didn't yes. you? That bands yeah. do this. You didn't have any difficulty in, in recognizing that. No, Why do they do it in your experience? Why do bands play things faster on stage? Well, what I found funny with this was that it actually went faster for the sax solo, but it slows down on the studio version for the sax solo. I don't know if there's a roar from the crowd or Mick does a bum wiggle or something and everyone goes, hey, we'll go faster, <laughs> whatever it is. I don't know, but it's, um, I mean, Keith starts it. Who knows what, uh, what fun stuff he's on? Uh, to but make him play fast. If you play faster, does it give it a, a, a sense of urgency? Is that the reason that they do it? Does it, is it somehow I make it seem more exciting just to, 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 to have it faster? Yeah, there's always been an unwritten sort of rule, which I don't really agree with, because I think you lose all the, the heart and soul and the swagger of a song, absolutely. and it's harder to dance to. If you, to this is dance, yeah, dance, yeah, absolutely. Dance, dance. You can kind of... And I don't know. Or, I mean, I put something up on Facebook an hour ago in preparation for this and basically said, can I have some examples? And loads of fellow musicians have come in. Someone's actually said, honky-tonk woman... Honky Tonk Woman, it's hilarious. And my friend Alex replied, it's like Charlie's left the oven on. It's <laughs> because it does, it just races, it races and races. But that's, the, that's the recorded version. But this is clearly that they're not using a, a click track, basically. But a lot of live bands now will use a click track. I actually know of one, I won't name the artist. He was so fond of, um, uh, sort of jazz woodbines that he would berate the drummer afterwards and say, you were speeding up, you were speeding up. And so the drummer got a metronome. They, don't, they weren't running any track out front of the PA. It was just literally, so the drummer had donk, 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 donk. And after the first gig, he did the whole gig on metronome where he was matching the speeds for the recorded versions. The singer still went, you were speeding up. He said, I can't have sped up at all, all night because right. I have been, you know, straight jacketed by this thing. And it was just in the singer's head. Yeah. So do up. most groups use a click track? I'm playing in big venues. Do they use a click track to, to time themselves? Yes. On each I mean, I, I, um, really interesting. I play live with Robbie Williams uh, covering for Guy Chambers. So I'm his dep. And because those gigs are so huge, the production managers kind of insist on it for the multimedia and the pyrotechnics and the yes. dance routines yeah. and the show that it is. So it's kind of terrifying because you are... About to go, I did a gig at a stadium in Romania and I hadn't done a stadium gig before. It was my first and only one. It was last summer. And we start with Let Me Entertain You, which is a deceptively tricky piano part. Um, and you're there with your ears and you get one, two, one, two, three, four. Dunk, 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 dunk. And you have to play correctly, well, with, with feeling, without the wheels falling off in front of all those people and try and not basically lose your mind with ding, dong, dong. It was Steve Albini, the producer who hates click track. He said, playing with click track is like driving with the police in your rear view mirror. Because right. it is this- Incredible, mm, so distracting. Mm, mm, mm. And, but, but presumably it makes it impossible to be, to be spontaneous. You, I mean, you, it, it can a big gig like that. Can somebody on the spur of the moment decide to put a different song I into the set list? There are it songs. It must be really hard with all there the are songs. There are songs we do which are off, which are more kind of Vegas. Yeah, I did a, a, a run in Vegas with Robbie last summer as well. And there were quite a few there where you would do the kind of Vegas um, Elvis 
type thing where you can, you know, and then you'd come in and you speed up and you slow down. But the big hits, I mean, especially if, uh, you know, I mean, there was a story, the song he does, She's the One, which is a Carl Wallinger world party song. I hadn't run this with them ever. And then suddenly he's out on the vanity ramp, Robbie, and he said, right, we're going to do She's the One, hit it. And I got, and I thought, am I in after three? I am in after three because I have no notes either. And it went one, two, three, ba da da. And I'm looking over at the bass player going, have I, is this right? <laughs> and then you wait and you wait until R comes in with these backing vocals, which are on track or some synth part or something. And you go, oh, I was right. But it's terrifying. Absolutely. So it's incredible. It's like you're trying to keep up with the record, effectively. Obviously, not all of it, but, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I heard a horrible story about a guy who was playing with Bonnie Tyler in, at the height of her fame when, uh, 83, 84, when the, the big songs were number one around the world. And he was filming, they had a cruise at Hammersmith Odeon, and uh, he was stopped from going on. She did a song just with her pianist. And then he, the big song, uh, Total Eclipse, and they were using click track then, and he couldn't, some security guard stopped him from getting on stage. And he goes, I need to be there, because if I miss beat one, the whole thing's screwed. And he got there and he saw this thing flashing. He put his headphones on, he didn't know where one, two, three or four correlated, and went one, two, three, four, turn around. And it was only the bit where the backing vocals come in, turn around, blah, and it was out of sync. So she went, turn around, turn around, turn around, and the whole thing just went, oh, which wasn't God. his fault. No, but I'm it, sure. Things will no, go no. wrong when, because it, it's, it's not flexible. That train is off and, uh, God, and that's going. complicated. But you see, Bruce and the E Street Band, they'll be live. Um, and they play Born to Run pretty well, right? They don't. It's not. Well, we decided, we talked about this last week, and we decided that Springsteen doesn't speed up. No. In my, in my experience, he's very faithful to the, um, to the sound of the record. Yeah. The record. yeah. And I think he's very respectful of that. And that's one of the things that interests me that uh, I often think that the audience, when you go back to the Rolling Stones and Satisfaction or Honky Tonk Women or whatever, Mm. This sounds ridiculous to say, but they sort of don't know those records as well as we do. No. Because we listen to them millions of times. And we only know one version of it, really. Which is the one on the record. They've got a million versions of their track. I I did read, one of you may have written the article when talking about the the new McCartney band, new, 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. They taught taught McCartney the the songs. I'm sure they did. And they'd say, it doesn't actually go like that. <laughs> well, that's fair enough, because they would have played it, and he probably, in some cases, would never would. Anything after 1966, he wouldn't have played it live anyway. No, I did, and, a, little, barely, I did, a, some of them. I did a little bit of tempo mapping on Ringo, because he gets a lot of... He gets a lot of flat Ringo, and Charlie gets the... Oh, Charlie's a jazz drummer, so he's, yeah. you know... They, it was almost, like, more revered than Ringo, and Ringo's pretty steady. It doesn't... But that's... You know, I didn't want to hold your hand and ticket to ride and stuff. And they speed up for the B section, and then they come back down. But I heard some, what were some people saying here? Uh, Street Life by the Crusaders is unrecognisable by the end, the album version, from how it starts. Um, Harvest for the World, the Isley Brothers, ramps up 20 BPM in the first eight bars. <laughs> wow. 
and it just got motors. You think of the Isley brothers as being the masters of it. If anybody was in control of it, you would have thought they would be. Absolutely. And superstition, which is. Oh, yes. Which is an interesting one. Because he's playing everything. Yes. (laughs) So it's not people in a room vibing. It's just he probably laid down the. I don't know, maybe a clav part, and then he... No, it would have been drums. He probably put the drums down and then followed his drums. I, d- uh, I don't know. Uh, but there's about ten clav parts on that song. It's really That's the weird. recorded version you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Astonishing, that's astonishing, isn't it? That speeds yeah. up. Goodbye to love, Carpenters. Speeds yeah. up. Message in a bottle. Oh, uh, yeah, message in a bottle. I'm not surprised yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, Even I someone that. said Magical Mystery Tour, and I know Alex said on the last podcast, but I think that is... Um, I think that's a, more of a kind of vision sort of thing because it's go, getting on the bus and the magic and it slows. To, I think it's in sections. Yeah, where it yeah. wants to do. Well, that. it's the refrain. The refrain comes back faster. That's that's what it is. After the it? after the tricky yeah. kind of bridge, middle eight. Yeah. I just think it's yeah. Come on, let's come back and let's let's yeah. Let's get so going. Ge- so generally speaking, though, that presumably, if, if if a good example, Britney Spears. If you go and see Britney Spears. You're going to get Baby One More Time played pretty much faithfully as it was on the record, aren't you? You'll have, you'll, you'll have backing vocals of her age 15, 16, and Max Martin coming through the PA, basically. I've been to see Petrop Boys play, and I'm playing synths because I made an album with them, and they just right. keep the things that you, uh, you, you use. I hear... I so hear you're my sitting backing in the, vocals. You're sitting in the audience, you hear yourself live. Uh, and yeah, you go, I'm sort of playing the O2, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Owen, Owen, that's fantastic. That's really, uh, that's really useful. Also, you've introduced me to a new phrase, another new phrase I didn't know, apart from tempo map, which was vanity ramp. Because Roy Williams was they... out on the vanity ramp. I never know what So that's when you go out into the crowd. Oh, is that what you Yes. Is that the official name for it? It's yeah, wonderful. it's it's uh, yeah. I don't know where I first heard that. So you go out and showboat on that kind yeah, of little yeah, avenue. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's I love fantastic. the idea of the artist being in a different postal code from the musical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> so far away. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Well, Owen, thank you very much indeed. Pleasure. We'll be back with you. you in due course, no doubt, for more uh, more uh, light thrown on dark areas. Cheers. Thank you. All the best. Pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. The Word Podcast, one of the few things you really need in life. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So I went into town this week, Mark. That's very exciting going That's exciting in itself. I find everything just really stimulating. You know, I sit opposite people on the bus and I think, I could write a story about you, you know, just on the basis of two minutes. I, because yeah, you're so starved of seeing other people. Absolutely. Oh, that's true, it's true. It's just that kind of thing. Anyway, I, um, I was in, I was in, uh, actually, I went to FOP. I got these. I, I bought some CDs. I bought two CDs when promising myself I was going to buy for ages. I bought Miles Davis, Porky and Bess. Um, Miles Davis, Miles Ahead. And, uh, Can't and go wrong I, with those. And then I went, I went to the uh, Rough Trade East because I, I was signing some books for their mail order operation. And I was talking to somebody in there. I said, uh, you know, how much of your trade do you think is CD and how much record? She's, and she said, well, I think it's mainly record now, you know, probably, you know, it, tilting more and more towards records. And uh, and we were discussing about, would CD survive? You know, would it still go well, on? Well, no, we were talking to our, our producer, Magic Alex, about this, who's got a huge CD collection and no CD player. And I think you tweeted something about that. I tweeted, I did it. We've got a whole it. room of CDs behind, just behind me there. whole room of CDs, and you've got one slightly ropey old CD player in the kitchen, and we, if we listen to them at all, we listen to them in the car. You know, you get to the point where you listen to things on Spotify or, or they're ripped or whatever, but you never actually play them. And it's clearly the case. So I, I, did the, I did this survey, and clearly it is the case. You know, hundreds of people got back saying, yep, got loads of CDs. You've got some people saying, yes, I still buy them. And I then rip them to my, you know, computer, which is increasingly a difficult thing to do because very often, yeah, if you buy a Mac, it won't have a disk drive anymore, you know. So that's right, harder and harder all the time. And so some people are just buying CDs and then just putting them away in a shelf and uh, and not actually playing them at all. And uh, and I just. I, 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 I often think about this, you know, because I know there's no romance to the CD at all. I know it's the it's the the music carrier that nobody loves. You know, it's impossible. You can't fall in love with it. It just it's the way you can't. It. And it does. Nobody ever talks about my copy of a CD. No, absolutely. <laughs> because there's nothing that makes it any different. There's no but cigarette other, burn or. But on the other stuff. hand, I don't think it can disappear, because. I think it then leads you down a very dark place as far as, you know, music and the reproduction of music and the things that we all respond to about music. You know, that um, you end up being, you know, what? You, here's my question to you, Mark Kellen. The music buying experience, is it closest to the book buying experience or to the movie going experience? Which of the two does it have most in common with? Over to you, Park. That's true. The movie movie buying experience. Yeah, well, it's not, 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 not movie buying, movie watching. M movie watching. Because movie watching is a social act. I'm going to cut through here. Movie watching a, is a, a social activity. You go, generally yeah, yeah, speaking. It's a book buying thing. It's, it's totally book, book buying. It's because book, book buying, buying is you, can't, you don't share with anybody else. 
You go back and it's a personal reacquaintance with that thing. So, listen, I mean, you know, I publish books and, and, you know, books that lots of people read on Kindles or audio books or whatever, and that's absolutely fine, you know. But the majority of people still buy, you know, a a hardback or a paperback book. That's what they, they kind of relate to. And if I work on more, the publisher said, well, all right, they, they, the market for physical product here has disappeared. And so your book's just going to be sent down the line as a load of noughts and ones, and it'll either reproduce itself as sound in people's ears or as something they read on a, on a Kindle or a, an, or, a, or a tablet or whatever. I'd feel really bad about that. Absolutely right. You know, because you think, well, what have I done? You know, what I mean? it's it's like you're taking once you once you make it available purely online, you're not you're not making a thing. You're providing a service. Completely, there's and no object. There's no object that there's you, no object. There. There's that fondness of picking up books that you've read before. You get them out of the shelf, and there they are. There's what you wrote in them in 1976. You know, the curled up edges of the paper, the coffee stains, those things, I don't know why. There's just, they, they connect with you. So, you know, these records, uh, you know, I could, I, I could listen to these on Spotify, on, you know, Amazon Music or God knows what. It's perfectly freely available. But, you know, I love these records and I didn't own them. And, and I wanted to go and own them. I wanted to have them, you know. And, uh, and, and then since I got them, you know, I played them a few times at home, you know. And I, I may not, I may not continue to play them, but I'd feel lost if I didn't have them. But because surely I, a lot of people. No, I totally agree with you. But it must be a lot of people who don't feel the same way because they've got a room full of CDs. It's taking up space. And is there going to be a massive tonnage of, of CDs out on the second-hand market? Well, I think or there is all, there going to be. I think there uh, already uh, is, isn't there? <clears throat> or is there going to be a, a, a kind of revival? like vinyl, which I think is very unlikely. I, I don't, will there be a CD revival? Hardly. Well, because it's who, hard to be fond of them. It's hard to be fond of them, I agree, but that doesn't have to be the only reason why people might decide that they want them. You know, that if everything just disappears into, if everything just goes into the one big tap and you just you just turn it on and you take the direction that you want. Yeah. It changes the nature of uh, of the creation of music, I think. You know, because for you know for fifty, sixty years, that's been what it's been. You know, it's been I make a single or I make an LP or whatever, and then the LP was supplanted by the cassette first of all, and then the CD, and then you know now it's disappeared to um, into a tap. You know, and it has the, it, approximately the same emotional engagement as the tap in your Completely. in your kitchen. Because you know, you, which no is you miss if it wasn't there. Yeah. You, you don't come over with a whoopee, must play with a tap. But there's <laughs> no sense that you own it. So you don't feel, you feel very detached from it, don't you? Just, yes, just a piece so, of entertainment uh, you can turn on and turn off. So I, I, yours. You know, all I would say is that loads of people really happily got rid of their LPs and thought, thank God I got rid of those. I've got the CDs instead. And I think most of them, well, I don't know about most of them. Will regret that, which was the other way around. They already regret it. Yeah, saying I should have kept the vinyl and got rid of the CDs. Absolutely. So, um, 
you know, I just it just made me think all this response to, to my tweet. You know, the people have thousands of CDs, and you mentioned you got one in your car. Yeah. Well, may I say that's probably because you've only you've got a vintage car. You've got quite an old car, I know. <laughs> well, so if, if you, we get we got the new Dylan one. CD not very long ago because we we pretty much had to go to a for a drive just to be able to listen to it. <laughs> because the one of the CD player in the kitchen is pretty ropey, you know. Extremely. So, so if you look at you know the average suburban street like you and I live in, you know, if you look down the street, you think to yourself, down the street, down the street, what are ten thousand CDs? CDs. Yeah. More than ten thousand. And just think how much money was invested. They may they may be virtually worthless now, but you know, in let's not forget, in nineteen eighty five, a CD was sixteen quid. Yeah. And sixteen quid is the equivalent of forty five pounds. Okay, here's my confident prediction: the sixteen pound CD will be back. Oh right. Well, because companies will need incentivizing to make them, because the market's not going to be that huge. And so if you want, you know, I, I bought this for whatever it was, seven quid. Frankly, it's 15 quid's worth, really, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and if they charged me 15 quid, I would have got it as well. Um, so, you know, CDs went, at first were, were rare and valuable, weren't they? When you got your first CD, you didn't care how much you paid for it because it was an exciting new experience over an LP. Do you remember it? when CDs arrived, people just said, what's your favourite CD? Yes, they did. Because there were so few of them. You we, know. Do, well, we, did that, <laughs> we did that little booklet with the first issue of Q. Yeah, we did. That's the right. The best CDs. Best CDs available. Of, and there were only about 100. That's right. Well, Most of those were my last There weren't right. were an awful lot more. That's no, true. So, you know, I think in order to keep these things produced, I think those, that price will go up. That's what I think. So, you know, you can, uh, you can laugh at me in due course if I'm wrong. But brace yourself. 1699 will return. The Word Podcast. Fix yourself a drink and it's like being in the pub. You're either watching or listening to The Word Podcast, one of our many fine services, alongside our Word in Your Attic and our regular Crowdcast interviews with authors of newly published books and also our regular weekly Can You Tell Who It Is Yet? quiz there's only one way to make sure that you can take part in all of these things that you get them first uh, and that's to sign up to be a patreon and so mark will tell us who's joined us this last week yeah that quiz by the way is on friday nights at six o'clock it's absolutely excellent new patrons um can we please welcome aboard and we're thrilled to have them with us uh th- actually three annual patrons first which is john pickles dicky dangerous chateau <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Gareth Jones, and also uh, Adam Keane, uh, Ian McKenzie, Gary Steagles, and Tom Tiorzuk. So thanks very much for signing up, and we appreciate it. And, um, Absolutely. And anybody who wants to know more about it, just go to patreon.com slash word in your ear. We'll see you next week. See you then. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Mom 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.